Okay, with that in mind, Tim Keller, uh, this is the most difficult of chapters to uh, work through. I find that somewhat uh, encouraging that we are making progress through it. Uh, I've no time to go over the whole argument that's come along so far. We need to make some, uh, some good progress tonight. We're focusing on the uh, great picture that Paul's inspired to bring up here of the olive tree. What is it? What's happening to the olive tree? Uh, what are God's plans for this olive tree? Uh, verse 13 is important because Paul is reminding uh, his hearers, reminding us who are reading this 2,000 years later, uh, he's speaking to the Gentiles with regard to the Jews. Here it is, now I'm speaking to you gen- Gentiles, in so much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my own ministry in order that somehow my fellow Jews may become jealous and thus some of them will be saved. He's speaking to the Gentiles about Israel and about the Jews. Now, what are God's plans for Israel? Chapter 11 and verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. It's a firm no. And then verse 11, so I ask, did they, that's the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? Is their stumbling over the gospel something final, and irrevocable. And again, it's a firm no. And Paul has used these arguments in the verses we've been looking at. Israel's rejection of God's way of salvation. They've rejected God's way of salvation. God's way is through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But they are seeking their own way of salvation They're looking to keep the law. They want to establish their own righteousness. And in doing that, when grace has appeared in Jesus Christ, they reject it. They stumble over the simple gospel of the grace of God. But through that, through Israel stumbling and rejecting gloriously, Paul says, it's given opportunity for the gospel to be preached to the whole world. To the Gentiles. You see that throughout the book of Acts. Now, Paul going to a new city would always start in the synagogue. Now, you imagine if the Jews had to a man and a woman and a child and a young person receive the gospel. You can imagine that uh, the gospel would have become just part of Judaism. It would have broken out of Jerusalem without the great persecution that came against the word that shot out many to gossip the gospel wherever they went. No, it was under persecution, initially from the Jews, that brought the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. But also the third thing that Paul has been saying is, the Jews now seeing the blessing coming to the Gentiles, that the Gentiles are actually receiving that which they were seeking but hadn't found it, they become jealous, uh, even envious of what the Gentiles have. And thus some of the Jews are brought to seek reality and they are converted. Think about that. That challenges again. The Jews, seeing the wonder of living Christianity in the life of Gentiles, are provoked to become envious. And so some of them are converted. And that challenge me again, challenge you again. 
Do we make anybody jealous or envious of what we simply have without saying anything, the way we conduct ourselves, our attitudes, our responses, our lifestyle? Do people say, do they point at you and me and look at you and me saying, well, I wish I had what he or she has? Well, that's the first three points that Paul brings out in these verses. First of all, that the Jews are going to reject, and they have rejected God's way of salvation. That opens the doors for Gentiles to be saved, and Gentiles being saved provokes the Jews to envy. Thus, some of them are saved also. But then this matter we've been looking at in recent weeks, at some future point, it does seem there will be a great ingathering of Jews into the kingdom. So verse 12. Now if there the Jews trespass means riches for the world, and if there the Jews failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will there, the Jews, full inclusion, whatever that might mean, mean? Verse 15. For if there, the Jews, rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Their full inclusion, their acceptance, their acceptance of the gospel of grace, their inclusion in Christ, and then moving towards this uh, great verse 26, in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion he will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them. I will take away their sin. Now that's as far as we've got. And last Sunday evening on the, uh, the Zoom meeting, we got to discussing this matter of the future uh, of Israel and I accepted that there are a wide number of views uh, two dominant views that all Israel means the steady ingathering of Jews and Gentiles into the kingdom and thus all Israel uh, will be saved. That's wonderful. It's, there's nothing new in, in that though. Whatever Paul is speaking about is going to make him burst out with these words. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Uh, amen. This incredible doxology comes at the end of chapter 11, which uh, completes the argument of chapters 9, 10 uh, and 11. So it's wonderful, a slow in gathering in of Jews and Gentiles, and thus all Israel uh, will be saved. But the position I, and I said last week, I reluctantly come to, because I'm slowly working through these chapters. We've been a number of years in, in Romans is that it does indeed point to some astonishing in gathering of Jews at the end of the age and the culmination of all things. Uh, two outstanding signs must be fulfilled before Christ returns. One, and this is uncontroversial, the gospel preached to all nations. 
And some will be lax, saying, well, it hasn't been preached there yet, so whew, we don't have to worry yet. I don't have to become a Christian until uh, people from that nation uh, are converted. But we fail to remember, who knows what God has done in the past in those nations? Maybe they're already in. Can't second-guess God. And then in the Zoom meeting uh, last week, uh, somebody did say, well, here's a point. If it is that there will be some great in gathering of Jews before the Lord returns. Well, we haven't seen that yet, so uh, Christ can't come tonight, can he? I thought that's a good question. I pondered that for a little while. Then I thought about the first redemption of all Israel. And at the darkest moment in Egypt, when all was doom and gloom and despair, they were redeemed overnight. Yeah, it was only overnight. Take a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, eat it, get ready to flee. And the angel of death passed over. Get out, and there was the exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea. It was a matter of hours that God redeemed all Israel on that occasion. I don't know how he's going to fulfill his uh, promise to his ancient people. They'll only be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But uh, we can't be complacent. It might happen tonight. What's happening? Do you know what's happening in Israel right now? I don't know. Could he save his people overnight? How long did it take you to come to faith? We're speaking about a, a revival of staggering proportions in a nation. We've seen it in Wales. But it took a number of months. It's happened in Korea. It took quite a while. God could revive. A multitude of souls in an instant. And thus all Israel is saved. Well, let's make some progress. Verse 16, not an easy one. Again, commentators saying, well, here's a tough one. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Still speaking about Israel. Uh, here's... God's promises. He is a remnant, but then he still has plans for the whole lump, for the whole nation. Uh, he is the root, and of course the root is going to go all the way back to Abraham, justified by faith. And, and the branches coming from the roots, and the point is here in verse 16, again, God still has a purpose according to grace for Israel. Now he's going to major now, he's Paul, inspired by the Spirit. He's going to forget the, uh, the lump and the door, the door and the lump. He's going to focus on the root and the branches, which is somewhat easier to understand. And he's going to speak to us of this picture of the olive tree from verse 17 onwards. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, were grafted in, among the others, and now sharing the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not become arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, 
neither will he spare you. Tricky verses here. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? I think this passage is fairly simple, isn't it? Can we finish there? It's fairly straightforward. There's an olive tree. What is the olive tree? Well, the olive tree is Israel. What are the roots? Well, it's the root of Israel. It's Abraham. You might include Isaac and Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel. You might go on to Jesse and uh, David. And uh, then we go on to great David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's all going back to Abraham, who believed God and was justified. Justification by faith alone in God's promise of the one who was to come. And Abraham believed it, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So who are the natural branches? Not rocket science here. It is all Jews of all times. Now those branches are of two types, aren't they? There are some, and Paul says some, who are fruitful. But there are some, and again Paul says some, conservatively, who are not producing fruit. They are barren. They are dead. When Paul says some, really he does mean many. It's the great majority, it seems. They are dead. And the dead natural branches, because they're not producing fruits, they might be physical Israel, but they are not spiritual Israel. So they are being cut off from the olive tree. Why? Because of their unbelief. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and verse 20, they were broken off because of their unbelief. The Jews, generally speaking, throughout the Old Testament, into the time of Paul, going to the synagogue, some believed, many were antagonistic. So the gospel is preached to the Gentiles and they receive it gladly. And they are grafted in to the olive tree. Now they're wild. It's a wonderful picture of you and me, the Gentiles. A wild bunch. Wild olive tree. No culture at all. Not cultivated. Utterly wild. But the dead branches. Here's physical Israel they're not spiritual Israel. They don't believe. They're rejecting God's way of salvation. They can't get grace. They just can't get around it. We must do something. I thank you I'm not like other men. Uh, I fast. I pray. I'm not like this tax collector. The tax collector, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, he goes home justified rather than him. He's cut off. It's like, uh, pretty much like Jesus speaking 
John chapter 15. You know the verses well, I'm, I'm sure it's worth reading them. I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That's pretty painful. You know, if you're a productive branch tonight, you're going to get some pruning. Can't be nice. I mean, Jules just got some new secateurs. I saw the, uh, the bushes quivering. But uh, she went off there and snip, snip, snip. But it, it can't be nice for them. And to be pruned, why will we produce more fruits? Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. The words of Jesus himself. And now we have this picture of the olive tree. The roots, Abraham. The branches, all Jews in all times. But there are two types. Some are just simply physical Israel, not producing any fruit. What matters is that we are spiritual Israel, believing as Abraham believed. And so, those that are just physical Israel, they're cut off, cut off. And then, wonderfully, others are grafted in. But see how they are described. But if some of the branches, verse 17 again, were broken off, and you, speaking to you Gentiles now, remember, speaking to you Gentiles, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing roots of the olive tree. We were grafted in. That's speaking about you and me now. We're included in this picture. Tonight, if you're a Gentile, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Speaking about you, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, says the Lord. You were wild and you have been brought in. You and me. Glory to God. And we are sharing tonight in the goodness of the roots. Going all the way back to Abraham. <coughs> We've been grafted in. Wild olive shoots grafted into the tree. Abraham, the father of the faithful. We stand on the Old Testament pictures and types and shadows and the prophecies and the promises. We're standing as Abraham stood. We are rooted and grounded in the Old Testament gospel, which is the New Testament gospel, but it's in types and shadows and pictures and prophecies pointing towards a great event that we now rejoice in, faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's the tree, and the pictures are simple. But then come some warnings that we need to take to heart. Verse 18, do not be arrogant towards the branches. So here you are now, a wild olive branch, and you've been grafted in. And you're among the, the Jews, and you share the root of the Jewish nation going back to Father Abraham. Do not be arrogant 
verse 20. Do not be proud. Here I am now, a, a, a Christian. There's the Christians in the early church. They're seeing the Jews rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the church in Rome. It would include some Jewish Christians. And here are the Gentiles, the Romans being brought in, the Greeks being brought in, and there they are in the church in Rome. Yet here's the danger. Well, we've believed and we've accepted the Saviour, and you Jews have not. We are better than you. We believed and you rejected. No, says Paul. No, don't be arrogant and do not be proud. What's the answer to arrogance and pride? Well, here's one answer that Paul rapidly gives. Remember where you came from. Right? You're grafted in into that beautiful olive tree. Remember where you came from. Remember, it's the root that's supporting you. Not you that's supporting the root. You've been grafted in. But here's how Paul, inspired by the Spirit, describes the Gentiles. But some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in. You were wild. And verse 24, for if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated. See, They are the cultivate. You're the wild one. Don't become proud or arrogant. Don't look down on the Jews in any time or generation. Remember where you've come from. You were wild. My friends, let's never forget where we came from. Paul addresses this in uh, his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. Verse 11. Therefore remember... That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are being brought near by the blood of Christ. We were nothing. We were wild. We were far away. How can there be any arrogance or pride in the life of a Christian? He, by his grace and the blood of Christ, brought you in. Echoing those words, Peter writing his first letter. Very powerful words. 1 Peter 2 and verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My friends... Listen, tonight, listening on YouTube, here in the chapel, never, never, never forget where you came from. Never forget. I was chatting yesterday to, uh, to a couple, asking about, again, conversion experience. 
And uh, thinking back, it's not very long, one said, we can quickly forget, can't we? We can quickly forget. Never forget. For me, it's 45 years coming up this summer. 45 years converted. Anyone know when I was converted, how old I was? Yeah, it was about, yeah, nine, I, was, I think I was 19. Have I mentioned that? I was 19. And uh, 45 years, almost 45 years, so I'm soon going to be 64. And uh, I can't forget. I mustn't forget. If I do, the tendency to become proud or, or arrogant, I know where I came from. As a, I can't remember where this song was sung. I haven't heard it for many, many years. Uh, he brought me in. He brought me in. Oh, I thank God he brought me in. When I look out yonder, where I might have been, hold it together now, I praise God, he brought me in. Now, how can there possibly be a proud Christian? It just seems to be an impossibility to me because all is of Christ. Back to verse 20 here. Well, verse 19, then you will say branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. Oh, oh that is true. But they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. It's only by faith that I stand, faith alone in Christ alone. It's all of Jesus Christ. It's nothing to do with me. I was a lost, hell-bound sinner, and he brought me in. The blood of Christ was applied to me. When I recognized that I was a sinner and the wrath of God was upon me, I could only do one thing. But even that wasn't mine. He gave it to me, that ability to repent and to believe, to turn from what I was before what I did. You see, repentance is really from what I am. I only do what I do because of what I am. It's what I am that's the problem before a holy God. I'm a sinner, therefore I sin. And I repent from what I am and what I've done and I turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. How can there possibly be any pride? Rather than pride, says Paul, you ought to fear. And the word phobos here can be applied in this way. It's not a cringing fear, it's a reverential fear, having reverence for the holiness of God. Now Paul concludes his argument here for tonight, or what we have for tonight, verse 22. Note then, take note, some lessons to learn in conclusion. <clears throat> note then, the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you. The severity of God, God will never lower his standard. He is a holy being, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The only way to approach him is to have a righteousness equal to his. How can I have such a righteousness? My own righteousness through the law is hopeless. 
All my human efforts are just like filthy rags. We stink before him. We're an offense to him. All he can do is pour out his wrath upon sin and arrogance and pride. God is severe towards sin, for he is holy. But also remember his kindness in Jesus Christ. There's grace there. The sinner, the foul, stinking sinner is accepted in Christ because of that great exchange. He lived for me, he died for me, he rose again. I repent of what I am and what I've done. I turn to Christ, he takes my filthy rags, he pays the penalty on Calvary. I'm not left neutral or naked. That's not enough to satisfy God. I need a righteousness, so I'm given his clean life that covers me. And with that, I approach God. It's all of grace. I note his severity. I revel in his kindness. And we sang, well, we didn't sing. We sang in our hearts this morning, Jesus, strong and kind. His severity, his kindness, his strength and his kindness. The third thing to note and to really impress upon us tonight is that we need to keep it real. Keep it real. Notice these words where I can find them. Let's read all verse 22, and I'll get the thread again. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, here it is, provided you continue in his kindness. <laughs> Otherwise, you too will be cut off. What's he saying here? Troppy waters now, and even if they, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted in contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? So, so what is this? But, you, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Now, here's a church now. And uh, we can take the picture for us. Here's the olive tree. If you're a member of this church, you are part, you're a branch in the olive tree. But here's the question, don't be arrogant. Rather, fear, have a reverential fear. Am I producing fruit? Or am I a barren branch? Let's examine ourselves. God will only receive into glory those who are genuine, those who have that fruit of repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Am I, am I real? Am I real? So he's saying you need to continue in God's kindness. And the genuine Christian will always continue. Now we have our ups and downs and times of backsliding. But we need to keep it real. I was talking to, let me just mention this um, part of the podcast that I've been doing for a while now. There's some one-off specials being done. The first was released yesterday. Uh, so you can hear it on um, Spotify or iTunes or Podbean. That's, that's a new one to me as well. But it's Podbean. Really easy to get on to, uh, to podcasts with. But they wanted some uh, real-life stories from my congregation, so I'm interviewing uh, a few folks. The first one went on yesterday. That was, that was Lewis. You can hear that on 
at Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. If you want to see the live interview, the, the, uh, it's on my YouTube channel. So click on my YouTube channel, you can see the live uh, video of it. But here, here's a point I want to make. We've got Steve Napper coming up. And, uh, but I did one this afternoon with a lad who used to run well. And then for 23 years, he backslid until five weeks ago when he, he rang me from South End and said, I'm, I'm back to things I should never have left. And I thought, I want, I'd like to get your story. And uh, one question I asked him this afternoon, what, what was the cause of that falling away? You know, he was giving talks, he was preaching, he was about to enroll in a Bible college course. He said, looking back, I think I spent all my time just preparing messages from the Bible and just things to give out to other people. But it was no longer real to me. <laughs> That's a telling, chilling thing, isn't it? Am I looking for Jesus all the time in reading my Bible? I was thinking with the young people on Friday night, that wonderful verse in Psalm 16, I set the Lord always before me. Right? Keep him in view. Don't lose sight of him. Because without him, there's nothing. If you don't abide in me, says Jesus, take him seriously. You're going to wither. Keep him real. Keep pressing on. And then, of course, a final point to consider is God's restoring, the restoring power of God. Again, pointing towards this future uh, event for uh, Israel. Now, I'm not going to press it. I mean, you might take a different view. You're quite at liberty to take a different view. I, for 44 years, took a different view. But now, going slowly through it, I, I'm convinced something's going to happen uh, to, to national Israel. And it's hinted at here again. And even if they do not continue in their unbelief, they'll be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what by nature is a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree. Let me finish with a couple of three brief applications. Number one, pride and arrogance, we've said this already, have no part in true Christianity. So it's a test. It's a test. Is there any semblance of pride or arrogance in your life? If so, worry. Be, be concerned. Because the Christian should only exhibit deep humility. Deep humility. When I look at others who are not converted, it's not, eh. But it's there, but for the grace of God go I. And but for common grace, this will be hell on earth. And who am I to be arrogant? I've been saved by the grace of God. And within the life of the church, any gift I have is from him. And in a natural sense, any natural gifts I have, I mean, what, what, what's your function in life? Are you high up somewhere? Don't look down on those who are pretty menial because it's only by the grace of God you have your natural abilities. It's all of God's kindness, common grace or special grace. And uh, all the graces in my life, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, 
It's all the work of his spirit. Yeah, I have to cooperate, but it's all of, of him. And even my faith is not mine. By grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Well, I believe that you didn't, but God gave you the faith to believe when the Spirit regenerated you. So humility. Read through Philippians chapter 2 again. Second application. Reverential fear is a healthy sign. Not cringing fear, but reverential fear. I have a calm assurance I'm saved, but it's not an arrogance. And so Paul says in Philippians 2, 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Satan will drive us to doubt, as we thought about this morning, and that leads to despair. Jesus will lead us to test. So in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, test yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Why does he ask us to do that? Because some who are members of churches are not genuine. And better find out now than too late. So test yourselves. And one test would be, is there arrogance or pride in my life? Or is that deep humility that Jesus exhibited being reflected in me? If I find I'm self-deceived, glory to God, there's time to repent and to trust in Christ But also we're asked to test ourselves because when we find we pass the test, as Paul is confident of with the Corinthians, then it brings us that reassurance and joy. And a final point I'd make on this, because of the power of God, never, ever despair about anyone being saved. doesn't matter who it is, what background, where they're from, how many times they've heard or haven't heard, never despair because God has power to graft them in. There are no hopeless cases. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a brief time in your word. Difficult chapter, but really quite a a simple picture for us tonight. Help us to take it in. Help us always to remember where we came from, the wildness of out there, and we have been brought in. Keep us humble, and may we shine humility to those around and about us. May there be something wonderfully attractive about the way we conduct ourselves. And pray, Lord, that to your glory and the salvation of many, there may be many, family, friends, work colleagues, who are provoked to envy what they see of your grace in our lives. Help us then, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen.